I want to just do something really quick. It felt weird to do it at a lot of places, so I'll just do it now. Um, I want to thank you guys for showing up and listening to a series on judges. And some of you really are listening because I mentioned that I always wanted my parents to give me a Stretch Armstrong. And what did I find in my office this morning but a gift of Stretch Armstrong? So I should probably thank a person, but I don't know who it was. So thank you. Now I have a toy to play with in my office. I was wondering what I was going to do with Paul and CJ leaving. I'm going to be playing. Tamara, if my door is closed, just... Just let me stretch. Okay, we're going to try to listen to more of Judges, learn more from Judges. So if you would turn in your Bible to, well, we'll be mostly in Judges 16. And so you, if you want to use one of the Bibles in front of you, page 215, 216. We're going to bounce around just a little bit, but basically in the story of Samson, which goes from Judges 13 to Judges 16. Now, life lessons is an expression that my dad used with me a lot when I was in high school and college, and he used it because he was trying to help me to get certain things that he, in essence, felt I needed to know, sort of key things I needed to know to do life well. Now, life lessons is not a unique phrase to my dad. If you sat down or just stood up, even with your phone or whatever, and you Googled life lessons, you will find really long lists of life lessons you should know. Some of them are 10, some of them are 9, some of them are 7. I think the longest one I saw was like 35. I also found out this week that if you're going to have a list, you always want it to be an odd number. I have no idea why. I think it's a rebellion against the Ten Commandments probably, but maybe so. But there's these long lists. Now, the principle, though, of all the lists holds true. It's sort of saying, hey, there are some things that you and I need to know if we're really going to do life well. Now, it's probably because of my dad's impact or influence on me that oftentimes when I'm preparing for a funeral, I actually will think in the category of life lessons. And I know I'm not the only one that does that. When I was getting ready to do Don Haddon's funeral, the funeral last Sunday, but before that, I met with his wife Darlene and daughter Dora, and Dora's first words for me basically was, here's life lessons my dad taught me. So when we think in those categories, now given that Judges 16 ends with Samson dying, as I was preparing, I kind of found myself almost looking at lists kind of like a funeral, like, hey, what are life lessons that we could learn from Samson so we could do life well? In Judges, there's been an awful lot of negative things. But are there ways for us to learn some, in that sense, positive things, things we could do, lessons we could learn to do life well? So what I want to do this morning, somewhat mostly from Judges 16, but really from all of Samson's life, think about three life lessons that might help us do life well. If we really learn these things, help us do well. In essence, God giving us the gift of Judges to say, here's what you need to know. So you can live life well because I am the God who loves and cares for you and I want nothing better for you than your good. And realize your good is always tied to my glory so I'm going to be glorified as you learn good things. So what are these things God wants us to learn? Lesson number one, life lesson number one is this, God wants you to be free. 
What means you and I need to understand is what God wants for us, and he wants us to be free. Now, if we're going to understand all of the story of Samson, we probably need to back up to the beginning just for a minute and remind ourselves what was, in essence, God's purpose or God's mission for Samson. So you look at Judges chapter 13, verse 5, just for a second, and it says this. God speaking to Samson's mother. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for a chi- the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Okay, from before his conception... Before Samson was even conceived, God had a plan. God had a mission for Samson. And that was that he would be a part of saving Israel from the Philistines. God's plan was for Samson to be a conduit, a deliverer of freedom. Now, if you were to read the rest of the Bible, the rest of the Old Testament from Judges forward, you would know Samson was the one who began that. He was the beginning of it. He didn't finish it. The story will continue in 1 Samuel with Samuel being a part of furthering that process. Then it'll come up and it'll be Saul and his son Jonathan being a part of moving Israel more and more toward being free from the Philistines. And then finally in 2 Samuel chapter 5 it will end. This freedom thing comes with King David saving the people finally completely from the Philistines. God made a promise. God was doing this thing. God was wanting to set them free. Now we need to understand that life lesson, God wants to set us free. Now part of the reason I say that is because when we think about this story about of Samson and his purpose, when we think about Samson, this freedom thing, what he's doing, really should cause us to look forward and look backwards. You see, looking backwards, there's the reason that Samson... And the people are in the promised land. It's because you look back over your shoulder and you realize that God freed Israel from Egypt and brought them to the promised land. See, God's always wanted freedom. But not only that, that promise of the people of Israel being in Egypt and being freed and set into the promised land, you have to go back even farther to a promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, going way back, saying, your people, you're going to be have a huge family. He had no kids at that point. You're going to be the father of a huge nation, and they're going to live in a land. See, God has been working this plan forward, and he's wanting people to have freedom, and that gets us all the way to Samson, him beginning that process again. But that process also means we need to look forward to because there's a much greater freedom than just being promised land. See, ultimately, Samson's story, in a sense, points us forward because when God made the promise to Abraham way back here about the land, he also made the promise that through Abraham, somehow, every family on earth would be blessed. And the way that blessing of every family came into fruition was by God sending the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus coming and dying on the cross in our place for our sins and rising again, that began to unfold that every family could be blessed. And you and I can receive that blessing when we would turn and trust the Lord Jesus alone as our Savior. See, here's the thing. God wants us to be free. Because when we talk about what Jesus did, what really started with Abraham, goes to Egypt, then goes to Samson, and then ultimately to Jesus. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, we are told that Christ 
did this. He suffered and died to set us free. Life lesson number one, if you and I want to do life well, we need to get it. We need to embrace it that God wants us to be free. And he's offering us that freedom in Jesus. Now life lesson number two, I said there was going to be three and some of you are going, that was a fast first point. Second point's going to take a little longer. Okay, I'll just be honest. It's going to have three sub points even. It's going to be fun. I like these ones. Okay, lesson number two. Remember, lesson number one is God wants you to be free. Lesson number two is you and I can forfeit an enormous amount of our freedom. God wants you to be free, but you and I can forfeit it. You and I can forfeit what God has done. In some ways, the big message of Judges 16 was Samson forfeiting an enormous amount of his freedom. Look at Judges chapter 16 and verse 21. The guy that's supposed to be the freedom deliverer, where is he? And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. His life purpose was to begin saving Israel from the Philistines. So you think he should be all about freedom. And where does he find himself? In a Philistine prison. The one that was to be the deliverer of the freedom, all of a sudden has forfeited his freedom. He did this. He got himself in a situation where he had freedom and he lost it. He forfeited it. Now, how did he do that? How did he forfeit his freedom? Now, let me be careful here, or clear maybe is a better way of saying it. If we're asking how Samson forfeited his freedom, we're also asking at the exact same time how you and I can forfeit our freedom. It's about us, not just about him. So how can we, what causes this to happen? What causes us to lose our freedom? Three causes, but cause number one is this. When you're toying with temptation. You want to forfeit your freedom, you start toying with temptation. Now if you hang around church kinds of things for long, you will probably hear a number of expressions. One of the expressions you will probably hear is the world the flesh, and the devil. And the reason you'll hear that expression, the reason that'll be brought up is because there is a reality of temptation. See, the world part of that expression tells us that there are things around us, things in our culture, things in our world that want to tempt us. The, the flesh part of that expression tells us that there's things inside of us, there's a bent inside of us that wants to be tempted, that kind of wants to be pulled toward things. And the devil part of it says, hey, there is an enemy of our souls who wants to tempt us so that he can hurt us. Now the key takeaway from that expression, the world, the flesh, and the devil is this. Temptation is really about leading us to danger. Temptation leads to danger. And the scary thing is about Samson is he wanted to play with temptation even though it brought danger. He toyed with it. He grabbed his stretch arm strong of temptation and he just kept pulling it and pulling it and he never let go. He just wanted to play the game of temptation. Let me ask you a question. Do you know where you are prone to temptation? 
do you know? See, if you want to benefit from the freedom, you want to know how to learn from this negative lesson of, hey, don't forfeit it, I think you and I need to know where we're prone to temptation, where we might get sucked into something so that you and I realize that's a dangerous place to be. Do we know? See, we're not told this Samson knew, and I almost get the feeling when you knew it, I don't know if he knew he was tempted by those things, or if he did, he didn't think it was a danger. He figured he could handle it all. But here's the thing. You and I can read his story, and we can very much see his temptation. Judges chapter 16, verse 1, verse 4. What was he tempted by? Hmm, well, let's see. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute. And he went into her. And after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, in verse 4 it says, whose name was Delilah. Okay? Throughout his life, Samson had been drawn repeatedly to women and sex. Now, I would guess, like most temptations, the reason you and I are tempted is because it looks good. I kind of joked to myself numerous times, if sin tasted like cod liver oil, we'd be a lot holier. But it's not. It looks good to us. And, and I've got to think that part of what was going on in Samson's mind was he's thinking, I'm having a good time. And if I'm having a good time, why would I avoid it? Like, why, why avoid it? Well, there might be a reason. Verse 5. And the lords of the Philistines came to her, this would be Delilah, and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Uh, Delilah might be tempted by money because that was an enormous amount of money that she was being offered. The temptation of Delilah looked really good to Samson. But the reality is it was really a dangerous trap. Temptation is the peanut butter that blinds us to the trap that kills the mouse. Okay? We're like, oh, the peanut butter. <gasps> uh, I better be careful. There's a commercial we saw one time. Two dogs talking, Chewy, the company that supplies things for pets. And it's two dogs, and the one says, the peanut butter box, the peanut butter box, the peanut butter box. Giorgio's, the peanut butter box. My wife is, yeah. I probably should take it out and start doing that to really, but you know, like, hey, it looks good, right? So you do it. The peanut butter. Oh, yeah, I want the peanut butter. I don't see the trap. Don't miss the implication. If you play games with temptation, you lose. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Carrie and I, again, a commercial, we were watching something on Hulu and a, 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 a commercial came on for a sports betting app. And, and the ad offered that if you bet $5, they'd give you another $200 in bets. And I'm thinking, you invest five and you end up with 205? That's a great return. I mean, I'm not an accountant. I'm like related to a bunch of them, but like that sounds like a great return. And then it's like, hang on a second. 
uh, sports betting app probably isn't going to stay in business very long if they're giving away all this money. What's going on? They're, what's going on is you and I get sucked into it and then we get crushed by it. See, they're making a lot of money. They're not handing out money. You're not going to get rich by investing your retirement in a sports betting app and gambling. But it looks good to us. And I guess you could say we forfeit our money, which means we're forfeiting our freedom. Part of the lesson that we need to learn from Samson is that temptation is not something we should toy with. See, Samson was tempted in the sexual realm, just like any of us can be. And the directive of God for that temptation is to flee sexual immorality, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It's not something we play with, it's something we flee. Another temptation that's really easy for us to get tempted by is to think that, hey, there's a lot of important things in life and there can be things maybe at times more important than God. Well, the Bible calls that idolatry. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14, it says, flee that, don't go there. That's dangerous. Another temptation that can be very easy for any of us and maybe all of us to some measure to wrestle with is, is sort of the love of money and stuff, materialism. That's another one that God would say, hey, based on 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, flee that. Don't hang around there. Get away from that. Temptation's not a game to play. We need to understand that temptation is not something we should toy with. But there is a challenge, right? Because we live in a world where temptation is going to come across our paths. We don't have to be toying with it. It's just around us. So how do we guard ourselves in that? Let me suggest to you two questions that I hope help us. How do I guard myself? Question number one would be this. Am I compromising on God's values? The reason I ask that is, like, if I'm holding on to God and his values... That gives some measure of strength. That gives us the strength to endure a temptation instead of being sucked in by, oh, it looks so good. No, it's not. But if I start to slide a little bit, I start to compromise in terms of God's values, we're a whole lot more susceptible to temptation then. Question number two, who is shaping my worldview the most? Really what we're asking in that is who are the people and the things that are occupying my time? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33 tells us something. It says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, you can say, hey, I'm going to try to cling on to God and God's values, but if you immerse yourself into things that are contrary to God or you engage in relationships with people that are constantly feeding you things that are opposite to God and you start to eat that stuff, the outcome isn't going to be good. You're going to find that temptation is pounding at your door and you're going to be a whole lot more susceptible to wanting to open that door. Why do I say that? Well, because if you go back to Judges 12, Samson was hanging around with Delilah. And Delilah, she is the definition of bad company. Look at verse 6. 
then verse 15 and verse 16. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Verse 15, and she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. What does bad company do? It gets our souls vexed. Not a good place to be. What causes us to forfeit our freedom? Well, toying with temptation. A second cause would be this. Allowing self-confidence to blind you to reality. When you have this great self-confidence, allowing that to blind you to what's really true. Look back with me at the, what Samson does with his interaction after he visits the prostitute at the beginning of chapter 16. Verses 2 and 3 read this way. And the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and they set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept quiet all night saying, let us wait to the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight and at midnight he arose and he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, that sounds incredibly impressive. But in thinking back to Judges 13 to 15, when Samson did impressive things, it always seemed to mention how the Spirit of the Lord either stirred him or rushed upon him. The Spirit of the Lord's not mentioned here. Verses 2 and 3 more kind of have a feel of, hey, look what I can do. And, and it's impressive. Yes, it is. But it's like, look what I can do. Verse 6 down to verse 9. How does this continue in his life? So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I will become weak and like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. I don't know what he was thinking, but okay. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Now again, Samson's handling this. I mean, this is pretty impressive. He just kind of flexes and they pop and he's good. He's in control. He's got this handled. In fact, he does the same thing to Lila two more times, sets her up, plays a game with her. But then, verse 16 down to verse 20. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then Delilah saw 
that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he's told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in her hands. She made him fall asleep on his knee, on her knees. And she called the man and had him shave off the head of seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and noticed this and said, I will go out at, as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson is thinking in verse 20, I can do this. Look, I've handled everything else. I can do this. But he couldn't. You know, it's a tough reality we all need to face. We cannot handle everything that comes at us. God did not create us to handle everything that comes at us. He created us to handle life in a relationship with him, connected to him. That's how we deal with life, not on our own, with him. The truth is, when we rebel against God, when we sin, we're saying, God, I can do this without you. I'm going to do it my way. And when we try to do things our way, like Adam and Eve did, it doesn't really go particularly well. Which is why you and I can trust in the fact that even though we rebel, even though we sin, God is incredible goodness sent the Lord Jesus to deal with our sin, to deal with the separation with him, and to make it possible for us to be reconciled to God. Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins and rose again so that you and I could be reconciled to God, so you and I could do life well. Because here's the thing, we are not sufficient in ourselves. Folks, if you want to do life well, you need Jesus and Jesus' family. The New Testament tells us that. If we lose sight of either one, of Jesus or Jesus' family, we won't be free. We'll be in some kind of a prison. Third thing that can cause us to forfeit our freedom is ignoring God. Now, in a lot of ways, this cause of ignoring God kind of flows out of that self-confidence issue. We can get so high on ourselves. Look what I've been able to do. And then we're like, yeah, we kind of lose sight of God. Look again at verse 20. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. And I really want us to notice these words. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. You know, those are profoundly sad words. Samson had no idea that God had left him. He was so out of touch with things. Now to connect that, that to us directly, God provides us freedom in Jesus. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, he has set you free. He's given you freedom. And he then puts the Holy Spirit into your life to preserve that freedom. The triune God is committed to you and I being free. But you and I, we can ignore God the Father, we can ignore God the Son, we can ignore God the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden we are forfeiting our freedom. We're trying to do this on our own, and it will not work. 
Lesson number one, folks, God wants you to be free. We need to see that. We also need to realize we can forfeit our freedom very easily. Big lesson number three is that your failure does not prevent God from fulfilling his promises. We need to know that. Our failures don't stop God from doing his promise-fulfilling work. There's a sense in which lesson three takes us back to lesson one of freedom and then adds to it. Look at verse, go back to chapter 13 with me just for a minute. We'll read verse five and verse seven. See, it says, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. That's huge for us to realize. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. God's promising some things there. Verse 7. But he said to me, the wife is reporting to her husband, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, notice this, to the day of his death. God doesn't just wish that we'd be free. I mean, you and I can wish a lot of things for people in our lives, for our kids, our grandkids, for friends, whatever. We can wish certain things. God doesn't wish it. God promises it. God promised to save Israel from the Philistines. God is making promises here related to Samson, being a Nazarite for life. God is saying, I'm going to do these things. I am behind these things. And here's the thing. God fulfilled those promises despite all of Samson's failures. God still worked and moved. Look at sort of the cryptic way that Judges chapter 16, verse 22 is written. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Verse 22 is hinting, you know what? God is still working. God's promise is still going to happen. Now, in God fulfilling that promise, God's keeping him a Nazarite. God's moving so he'll be a Nazarite still. There's at least two things we need to see about God working to fulfill promises we need to get because our failures are in this picture. First thing we probably need to see is that our failures are going to bring consequences and there will be shame related. Okay, you and I fail. We may have consequences. We may have shame. Verse 25 of Judges 16. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. Now, he was not being a stand-up comic here, folks. He was being ridiculed. He was being made fun of. He was, they were shaming him. And that can happen. There can be consequences to our sins. Second, though, we need to see our consequences, but God's still working. No matter how far you fall, you never fall to a place that is beyond God's forgiveness and is beyond God's ability to work in your life. And I think Samson got that. Verses 28 to 30. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. 
And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. You know what, up till this point, Samson had had more failure than anything else. He'd failed at every turn. And yet it didn't stop God from working. God was fulfilling his promise. God was moving to save the Philistines. Folks, I don't want us to miss an implication that raises. God truly does want us. He wants you to be free. So he sent the best deliverer. He sent Jesus. And like Samson, Jesus faced shame according to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Now he didn't face shame because of his sins or a consequence of his sins. No, he faced shame because of our failure, because of our sins. But in doing that and taking our shame, he also took our sin and he died in our place. And he did that to fulfill God's promise to Abraham to bless all families, to bring freedom. Don't take this the wrong way. We are a room of failure. And everyone watching online is a failure too. But God is still working. God still fulfills his promises. He still brings forgiveness. And a life lesson you and I need to realize, as bad as we think we have done our lives, It is not beyond God's forgiveness and it's not beyond God's ability to work and to move and to restore. We've had a chance over the last three weeks to kind of see Samson's life. What should we learn from it? What should we take away? Real quickly, let me suggest to you three things. First, folks, I think we should thank God for his commitment to give us freedom. It's reason for us to praise God. Look at what he's offering us, the freedom he wants you and I to have. Second, I think you and I need to ask God by his spirit and and ask the help of his people to help us with temptation. Every single one of us needs help. And we would be fools not to ask for help. Third, I think we need to rejoice in and we need to trust God to do his promise fulfilling work in our lives. Instead of worrying and fretting and thinking that God must have given up on us because of our failures, we should pray like the forgiven Samson. Ask God to touch us. Ask God to move in our lives. And then enjoy that God keeps his promises and God wants to give you the freedom he's promised. Would you pray with me? Father, you offer us so much more than we realize. You are gracious beyond degree and measure. Father, I pray that we would give you thanks, we would praise you for the freedom that you offer us. 
God, I pray we would turn to you and say, Lord, even today, even in this moment, I need your help, Lord. By your spirit, convict me when I'm temptation starts. Help me to have relationships in my life that I can turn to other people and say, look, I'm struggling here. Would you pray with me? Would you help me? And God, what I face and what I recognize that yes, I've sinned and I fall short of your glory. But you are the God who forgives. You are the God who makes it possible for me to know you, to be connected to you, to be redeemed. And I pray, Lord, I would rejoice, we would rejoice that you forgive. And God, you can redeem even when we are in a prison of our own making. I thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for the story of Samson. May we embrace your truth through it because that points to your glory and it is for our good. In the precious name of the Savior we pray. Amen.